Our scripture reading this morning begins by looking at Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, we read the first uh, eight verses. The Gospel of Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. God's holy word to our hearts this morning. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And then we turn to ahead to Romans chapter 8, and we read verse 11. Concerning the work of the Holy Spirit, the wonderful works that he does in our hearts, to change us and to bring us to Christ and to the Father. We read in verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And then we read our text this uh, morning turning to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, and we read the first 14 verses. Ezekiel was a prophet of the Lord in Babylon, sent in the first half of the 6th century before Christ to God's beleaguered people in exile to comfort them with these words of hope. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know, Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, 
the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. So I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. And so far we read from God's holy word. <clears throat> Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of a dying world filled with all kinds of uncertainties and trials and tribulations. We celebrate the victory that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what the gospel is all about, isn't it? The gospel of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. He too was raised and not only for himself but as the first fruits of millions upon millions who will believe on him. Millions, we cannot begin to count the multitude of those who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ before he comes again. And this really is good news for the world to hear. We hear so much lousy news, we hear so much news we can hardly believe. We hear so much that we really wonder about. We desperately need to hear things that really are true, things that are real, things that are established in history as fact. Good news. And that was Israel's situation when they lived in Babylon during those 70 years of exile. They were in desperate need for hearing something good, good news from God their Father who seemed so far away. And it was because God's judgment lay very heavy upon his people while they were in Babylon. They weren't just simply there for nothing, but because of their idolatry and their apostasy and their wickedness, God finally had to chastise his people according to his righteous justice. All on account of their disobedience. We would say Israel at this time was in the lowest point of her history suffering defeat and humiliation, being defeated by Nebuchadnezzar's armies, gone into captivity, experiencing punishment from God, and perhaps the worst of all, the sense of despair that was coming upon them more and more. They might as well all have been dead, so serious, so horrible, so, so hard was this captivity, so severe was this sentence of exile so hard the stigma to bear because they remembered once they were God's people, once they were happy, once they were prosperous, 
once they lived in a land flowing with milk and honey, once they had peace in their borders, no enemy could besiege them. They had everything in the land of Israel that God had promised their forefathers. And now look where they were, captives, slaves, far from home. And yet God did not abandon his church congregation. He sent Ezekiel, among other prophets, to prophesy words of hope and to speak of a new day that God was promising to them, nothing short of a resurrection from the dead. You know, chapter 37 of Ezekiel is perhaps one of those very remarkable pieces of Scripture. We might even wonder how in the world did that 37th chapter get into the book of Ezekiel, much less into all of the Old Testament. It just stands out as such an astonishing piece of Scripture. How could it be there? Well, only, only unless one day the Lord Jesus Christ himself would arise from the grave on that first day of the week after the Passover, about the year 29 AD. And isn't that what is so essential to all of our Christian faith and all of our Christian life, the resurrection of Christ from the dead? And so, congregation, this theme I lay before you this morning, by the resurrection of Christ, the whole house of Israel is made alive. And this fact is communicated to us first by this particular special revelation, we could perhaps call it a vision, that Ezekiel sees, a vision wherein, by the word of God, a valley of dry bones receives flesh and comes to life. That first. By the word of God, a valley of dry bones receives flesh and comes to life. We know that all the Old Testament prophets had that burden of bringing the gospel ultimately, anticipating that good news that would finally come to pass in the day of Christ when he would come. Ezekiel also had this within his own um, bones, so to speak, under God's inspiration, being brought to, to, to the point where he had to bring this kind of a message to God's people to comfort them. And this is what it is. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit in the Lord, in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God. You know, here is a gruesome scene before us. Here is a catastrophe that has happened on the battlefield. Israel's army is all completely slain. There's not a single person left alive. And they are scattered all over the place. They're not merely slain or merely corpses, but Ezekiel sees very dry bones and very many dry bones scattered across the length and the breadth of the floor of this, of this valley. An army long dead, long dead I say because the bones are very, very dry, bleached in the sun, becoming light and you know, full of little holes, very dry. What can we say about this? We know from the scriptures that when the dead were not buried, that was a final insult to them. It was a sign of God's curse when Israel's army was defeated in battle 
and their flesh was eaten by the birds of the air and by the beasts of the field, and they were never properly buried. A final insult, God's curse upon them. You can read of that in Deuteronomy 28, verse 25. We might say, why such a horrific scene? While Israel had been unfaithful, they had forsaken the Lord God of the covenant. They had forgotten their Father in heaven and His promises. And yet, and yet God says to them, says to Ezekiel in verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel doesn't give any kind of a definite answer, but he kind of defers to God as if to say, Lord, you know. It's up to you, O God, if you want these bones to live. If you're pleased with that, you know. He doesn't even say you can do it. But he says, Lord, you know. Now Ezekiel, of course, knew that Yahweh was the God of life and death. Ezekiel would have known a text like Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, where God says, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is no other God besides me. And that would have all been fine and well for Ezekiel to have in his head at this moment, but, that, but still he's left with this awful scene, this scene of death and destruction and humiliation, as if there's not a chance in the world that this, this army could ever, ever be raised up. It's so overwhelmingly awful, how could it be reversed? How can these very many dry bones live? And congregation, this is more than just a picture of, a, of an army of, let's say, 50,000 Israelites slaughtered. It's, it's far worse than that. Look at what this, this vision, this text is really pointing to. We read in verse 11, Then he, that is God, said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. It's not just the army. It's the whole house of Israel described here. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. This is a description of the church of God in the Old Testament, as if to say, this is all that's left of it. This is the best that they can say we are cut off. This is the best that they can speak of themselves, of, uh, describing themselves simply as dry bones, disconnected, long dead. This is Israel in utter devastation, having forsaken the God of the covenant. And here's the mystery of God's grace. He, he still doesn't forget his people. He will not allow them to be cut off forever, even though they say we are cut off. He will not leave them in their sins. For immediately, God goes on to say, and we see how this vision now progresses forward in verse 4. He says to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. As if the dry bones must open their ears and now begin to listen. They're being preached at. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. What a thing. Ezekiel must speak to these dead bones and prophesy to them 
that sinews and skin and tissue are going to come back into them and even breath is going to be breathed into them, we would think, how in the world is this, is this possible? What power does this take? Well, we have the answer in verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, a sudden rattling. All these bones begin to move and to go back to where they first were connected together with, with other bones in each person's body. I looked, bones coming together, bone to bone, verse 8, I looked and, there, and the sinews and the flesh came upon them and skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. It's like they're almost back together, but something's missing. There's no breath. It reminded me of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where we read how God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. Adam became not quite a living being yet, but he became human. He received a body. But he had no breath in his body until God breathed into him the breath of life, and then Adam became a living being. God had to breathe into him first. We see congregation that whether we're talking about physical life or spiritual life, God is the creator of it. He is the one who makes alive. He's the one who also takes life away. But we see that he indeed is the creator of all physical substance, but he is also the recreator of all spiritual life. He does both because by his almighty word, he brings to pass and he declares it, and it's done. It's done. It comes to pass. By the word of his mouth, by the means of prophesying, notice how the word prophecy is it stands out in verses 7 and, uh, and verse 9 and so forth. Prophecy is a form of divine speech whereby the infallible word of God goes forth by virtue of the Holy Spirit. It is to further preach the life-giving word of God. And so by the word of the prophet, God will command life to come back to these very, very dry bones to his very dead people. And it's not simply the prophesying that Ezekiel must do, but an utter reliance upon the breath. Ezekiel must even, even uh, preach and speak to the breath. And that's what we read in verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds and breathe O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. We can't imagine the contrast from a rubble heap of bones, millions of bones, piles and piles, and Suddenly an army standing, dressed, bold and strong and full of power and courage and ready to go to it into battle. There they suddenly are by the prophesying power of God, by the power of the breath, here also called uh, 
the breath that comes from the four winds. The word four is often a symbol that, that is representative of earthly powers and earthly things or earthly dimensions from the four points of the compass, if you will, is the converging power of the breath, the spirit of the living God coming full force upon these bones to, to bring them back to life, to make them a standing army. Ezekiel must rely upon the spirit of the living God. In the Hebrew language congregation, the word for breath, the word for wind, the word for spirit is all one word in the Hebrew, the word ruach, meaning spirit, or the wind, or the breath of God. By the breath of his mouth, the heavens were created. Remember? The breath of God brought life to this army long dead. Now keep in mind, congregation, as we look at this vision, it intends to proclaim a truth, a living truth, the truth of a resurrection from the dead. But this particular resurrection that is here depicted portrays and proclaims to Israel their return from the land of Babylon, Babylonian captivity, back to the land of Israel so that Israel can again be reconstituted as the church of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. That is what we see uh, told us in verse 12 and following. We read, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold my people, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, as if to say, back where you belong in the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, and I will put my spirit in you. Again, there's that idea of the breath has come into them. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land back in the land of milk and honey, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Now, in the same breath, I have to say this, that as this prophecy is being, being announced and proclaimed and the promise is given, we need to remember that those people who died in Babylon during those 70 years of exile, those people, they went to their graves, didn't they? Hundreds and thousands of them went to their graves. And they didn't get out of their graves either, did they? They did not go back to the land of Israel and return there. Yet this message is true and powerful for them nonetheless because this message is full of God's grace to a despairing people in Babylon. Yes, indeed, what God says is going to be true, that there will be a, a, a remnant that will return to the land of Israel, and the church of Christ will there be reestablished. But something more fundamental is being stated here too, and it's this biblical truth that God will raise to newness of life all those who believe on Him and all those who turn from their sins. They can they have this assurance they will be raised to newness of life. And even those who died in Babylon could go to their graves with this truth in their, imprinted upon their minds what this particular uh, 
vision declares. It declares this gospel of newness of life to all who believe on him, to all who turn from their sins. There's this gospel of resurrection and life declared, of righteousness and of peace with God again to all who repent of their sins. That's what this is all about. And so we too must take stock of these things to not put our trust in anything but what the gospel here proclaims. To not put our trust in men or in princes or in armies or, or in technocrats or whatever. But in the one who really rules the world, in the one who does make alive, in the one who does kill, the one who wounds, but he also heals. He speaks of death, but he also promises life. And he doesn't just talk about it, he does it. He brought God's people back to the land of Israel. And their return to Israel is likened to a resurrection from the dead. That's how he describes it in verse, uh, in verse 12. Behold my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you back into the land. You see, it was such an impossible thing for the Israelites ever to return uh, on their own steam or on their own power. It was an impossibility. So entrenched they were in that slavery, in that exile, that it was comparable to being raised from your graves. That's the, that's the sense we get here. It was so impossible. It was likened to a resurrection from the dead that they could go back to Babylon, back to the land of Israel. And yet, congregation, we may again well ask, how is it that Ezekiel could receive such a gruesome vision with such an amazing message bringing such glorious hope? In short, how was this possible? And further, why could it be? You see, this vision has to make sense. This can't simply be a, a fairy tale or a nice fanciful story to amuse our minds with for a little while and then we move on and read something else. You see, Ezekiel prophesied of a resurrection from the dead. And how could he use this kind of imagery that God has given to him that portrayed and secured Israel's return such an impossible thing how, how, could, how could this vision really come about and, and, and have us say you know what this is real this is going to happen this is not just a fanciful story this is not something that Walt Disney can make up and, and entertain people with how could this be unless there was a miraculous event and power that this particular vision was actually based upon and thus receive any kind of credibility to, to say, yes, this is really worth believing. This is not just a bunch of fanciful stuff. You see, this vision congregation depended entirely upon the resurrection of the coming Messiah, the sin-bearing servant of Jehovah who would bear our sin and the sin of those in Babylonian captivity. 
and be raised from the dead so that they could be raised from the dead so that such a vision would even make any sense to them at all or have any, any chance of being real. See how God's Old Testament word yearns for and longs for and in essence wants to reach out for a further New Testament word to fulfill it so that it all makes sense. So that it's really worth believing. Worth getting your, your head around and getting a handle on and say, ah oh, man, this is true. This is what I need to, to shake me up out of the out of the ho-humness of my own life and or my own careless living. Something to give me real hope. And that New Testament word that was required, of course, was not simply the word inscripturated like more of the written word, but the word incarnate. The word made flesh is what it takes. What the gospel writers like Mark tell us all about. Otherwise, your faith congregation has no grounding whatsoever, does it? Your faith has got to be based on far more than some silly stuff, some imaginary story. It sounds pretty interesting and nice, but it's just not realistic. Is our faith based on things not realistic or far-fetched? Oh no. This vision congregation is a glorious vision. It proclaims a glorious theme. The resurrection of Christ is here proclaimed for the whole house of Israel. They are made alive. And here is the glory of that theme in that secondly for you and me we too may have the assurance that we will be raised from the dead for Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that brings us to Mark's Gospel where we read of those women who came to the tomb that morning hoping to anoint the body of Jesus one last time, expecting a closed tomb, of course, with a very large stone sealing it tight, they had more, no more expectation of seeing the risen Jesus as Ezekiel had any expectation that these dry bones would ever live of their own either. It was an impossibility. But our faith congregation does not depend upon human possibilities or expectations, but on divine events ordained by the Word of God, carried out by divine power, and come to pass by divine grace. That's the stuff of our faith. We read in verse 3 of chapter 16 of Mark, and they said among themselves, who will roll the stone away from the door of the tomb for us? Good question. <laughs> they were coming to a tomb that they really, <laughs> they couldn't do anything with it. But when they looked up, they saw that a stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. You know, they were only expecting to anoint the body of Jesus one more time, and their hopes were dashed. They couldn't do it. But also was soon dashed their sorrow at, at, at knowing that they were going to see the dead body of the Lord perhaps again to do the anointing, but uh, they're not able to do that either. 
And they're filled with great alarm when they do not see the body of the Lord Jesus, but they see this young man in a white robe on the right side, in, in, inside the tomb. And they are alarmed. They're, they're literally terrified. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. You know, as Ezekiel had to believe the message of God that was coming, as he was commanded to prophesy, he had to believe what was coming. So these women also had to believe the message of the angel who was sent by God. They had to believe the word of God too. And here's a very important biblical principle. When God speaks, I don't care in what way, we have got to listen. We have got to humble ourselves. These women had to. Ezekiel had to. When God speaks through his prophets, his people have to listen. And that's inherent unbelief when we refuse to listen to the word of God. Then we really cut out our feet from under us, spiritually speaking, don't we? If we don't listen to the word of God, whether it's the angel who proclaims things that seem fantastic to us, still you listen so that you still keep on believing. And if not, you repent and you begin believing the word of the Lord. It's of the essence of our faith. And so this promise of the angel to the women that they would see the Lord as he would go before them into Galilee, this promise not only made believing possible, it made believing a must. God tells us that we must repent of our sins and we must believe on the Lord Jesus. We're commanded to believe. That's the, the thrust of the gospel that comes by a command. God commanded Ezekiel to preach to those bones and to proclaim to the breath, and he had to listen and obey. You know, it's a silly thing to hear the word and then not obey or not listen. That is unreasonable. It's very unreasonable to not believe lies that you should not do. But it's so, so, it, is so it is so wise to believe the truth when it is spoken. And when these women saw with their own eyes, especially the tomb was open, the place was empty, the evidence was all in. What the angel declared was showing itself to be true. And Jesus is not here, he is risen. The crucified Lord has arisen from the tomb. How come? Well, because by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ being shed, our sins are atoned for. Jesus no longer has to stay in the grave. Our sins are forgiven. God's justice against our sins is satisfied. And so, 
or I would say, therefore, by the power of the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ could be raised from the dead, and he was raised from the dead. You see the logic of that? He could, and he was raised from the dead. And that's the very thing that, that Paul uh, speaks to us of in chapter 8 at verse 11. He says, and if Christ is in you, oh, sorry, verse uh, 8, but if, but you are, let's see, now where am I? 8 verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See here how Paul's words of hope depended just as much on the resurrection of Jesus Christ as did Ezekiel's words depend upon uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Both declare life from the dead. Both speak of newness of life to all those who believe on the Lord Jesus, all those who turn from their sins. Both declare the hope of a resurrection from the dead. Otherwise, you know what, congregation? We might as well all simply, simply know that we're just part of those millions of dry bones in that valley. If Christ had not risen from the dead, we would all liken ourselves to being those millions of dry bones and nothing else more ever being said of us, but, that, but that's all we ever remain. Not to mention hell, of course, which is infinitely worse than being simply dry bones. That's what his vision is declaring. And that's what Paul is declaring in Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See how Paul says that it was the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. He's the very same spirit that breathed into that valley of dry bones and raised them all to life again too. And the spirit of Christ who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says, will therefore also give life to your mortal bodies. Mortal means your bodies are on the way down. They're disintegrating. They're going to turn finally into bones too and perhaps into dust. In other words, you're going to be like those bones too realistically in the grave. But if the Spirit of, of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your perishing, mortal, decaying body. But how is it that the Spirit of Christ dwells in you? Well, only because Christ has first died for your sins and then arose for your justification so that you are indeed worthy of everlasting life. And so the Spirit of life does live in you. And he who raised Christ will not forget about you either, but raise up your bodies too on that great last day of the Lord. And keep in mind with the Spirit of God living in you, even right now you are alive, alive with eternal life. 
Though you must go through the valley of the shadow of death only so momentarily, and then your body, of course, will not be forgotten. Though it lays in the grave, perhaps for many hundreds of years. And so, congregation, we conclude with this truth that the risen Lord Jesus Christ, because he rose and had fulfilled the Father's will, he also received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit so that he would be sent by Christ and from the Father for our sakes, down to our hearts, that we would be born again as well and cry out, Abba, Father, and even more with a sure hope that our mortal bodies, they too, will be changed from dry bones, being raised with Christ from the dead to live forevermore. Amen.